Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I love the fact that you've got uh, Japanese tattoos that you got whilst you were pissed. I think that's... <laughs> yeah. Well, I was in my younger <laughs> days. Rene Dupree, how are we doing? Glad to be alive. Yeah, I get, I get that. Because am I right in thinking that for you guys, you're in New Brunswick, aren't you, Renee? Yes, sir. So we're only what a, a couple of days away now, really, from restrictions being lifted properly, or at least easing. Am I right? Well, I mean, we gotta wear masks everywhere, but mm. I mean, that's the only restriction that I see. But then again, I don't leave the house very much. That's <laughs> fair enough. I go to the gym. My wife is all the grocery shopping. Uh, so then that I'm pretty much a, a hermit. Uh, would, would you say you were a hermit before lockdown or is lockdown just uh, uh, encouraged uh, you to well, become no, a hermit? Before this pandemic, I was traveling 10 to 15 countries a year all over the world, right? You were in Japan, I think, last, like, in you know, before all this stuff caught fire, you were in, I mean, you were in Japan during it as well, which we'll talk about in a little bit, Will. Sure. Um, but with the, the world sort of getting back to, to normal, um, aside, from, aside from wrestling, what, what very normal things have you missed doing? That's, that's all I do. Just I wrestling. I literally have no life. It's wrestling. <laughs> that's it. But the traveling as well, I imagine it's as you say, living as a going from living li- living on the road all the time to suddenly being yeah. stuck at home. It's been yeah. quite a quite a change of the pace for you. Yeah. Um, it was in uh, lockdown that you you started Cafe de Rene. This is the yes. the YouTube channel. Uh, that yes. now, how how did that? We'll get we'll start we'll start talking about it straight away. I think when it comes to the, the channel, what yeah. was the inspiration behind you going? I'm ready to start sort of telling some stories and and catching up with some old friends. Boredom. Boredom. <laughs> That's it. No, no, I was, people kept messaging me. Did I freeze there? Okay, there. People kept messaging me to do their YouTube shows, right? So I was like, okay, so something to do. And then uh, I met James, and he's like, would you like to start your own? And I was like, well, fuck, I got nothing else to do. So we just started, and then, you know, gradually built from there and now I get, I've got two shows a week I bring a, a guest on every week on Mondays and then we do a topics video on Thursdays and uh one's dropping well when does this air uh this is going out um on Wednesday the 2nd of March oh shit okay well on Thursdays we do a topic so we do two shows a week and yeah 
trying to grow it, you know. Have you found that you look at wrestling in a different way now that you're now that you're con- you're sat at home consuming it more? For, for the I watch it on television. No, I, I haven't watched it on television in sixteen years. No, I can't. I can't watch. I can't watch American products. Hmm. Like I watch the odd match. Like you give me a Serena D match, I can watch that. Give me a Brian Danielson match, I can watch that. Or a Minoru Suzuki match, I can watch that. But to sit and watch a bunch of zombies eating on a fucking corpse, or I, I can't. I, I can't. I can't do it. No, you've you, you've said before, you've said previously that. Uh you you can't when when you've spoke about like because when you do these interviews quite often they'll go when are you going back to wwe when are you right. doing that and they always we're not doing that by the way there's no reason to do that but right. um the, a lot of the time it's the case of i think i heard are you chatting with chris van fleet and you said well i can't i can't fake it i can't fake that i'm having a good time right no it has to be genuine you know? yeah and, and in the- japan i can do that because they wrestle right there's a lot of love for Japan yeah. and Japan has a lot of love back to you. Um, yeah. So the, so the podcast is, is started this two a week, the YouTube channels flourishing as well away from, uh, away from doing that. What other things have kept you sane during like the last 18 months of lockdown stupidity? Oh, uh, the weight room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Netflix. What was the last thing you watched? No, no, you you laugh, but we we've we've all been there. It's all it's a shared experience. Right. What was the last thing you binged on Netflix, Renee? Well, Salt Park is back. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so that yeah, so that's uh, I didn't watch it last night, but tonight we'll be watching uh, the episode. Um, a lot of documentaries. I actually have Netflix, and I have uh, it was Amazon Prime. Mm. So we watched the documentary on uh, Von Dutch. That was pretty interesting. No. Nice. Uh, Watching lots of uh, lots of documentaries on different things. I'm into um, like a lot of the subjects I use on Cafe de Renee, my YouTube channel, is I talk to a lot of guys that had substance abuse problems, right? Because mm-hmm. right now I don't know how it is over in the UK, but in North America, there's this thing called fentanyl mm. that's creeping up, and it's I mean it's it's like a epidemic, man. It's killing people. You know, one of the things so that you said is is about the uh, is about how the the era that you were involved in WWE there was so yeah. much of that going on. You saw it happening all around you. Yeah. So it's it's something that's that's very close to your heart. And I know you've had guests on to talk about uh, yeah. the, the the drug issue. So taking yeah. time away to look at it more is 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 incredibly important. I think. And I think yeah. it's knowledge. Do you feel like? Um, we're getting quite deep quite quick. This is exciting. Um, do you feel that um, compared to the the American wrestling scene, which you've left for a while now, you've been away for a while and you've had no reason to go back into the States to wrestle, but do you think that the scene is is any any cleaner than it was than when you left? On the outside looking in, it looks that way, mm. but I'm not there. Right. Right. And don't forget, there's always that, shield of secrecy like for example you're a fan right mm-hmm. you had no idea about the 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 level of 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 drug consumption back in the early 2000s no we we were we were, there was obviously you hear reports and stuff but again we're not there so not we there. can't we can't see it all go down you can only that's see the, you can only see the, the the awful aftermath of it that's it is- so i don't know because i'm not there 
And when you're in that system, it's like, you don't want to be a whistleblower. You don't want to be a stooge. So, you know, but the thing is, uh, on the outside looking in, do they take better care of their wrestlers as far as if they're injured? Mm. And you know what I mean? It looks that way. So that's great because back then they didn't, you know, you were paranoid. You were, you were worried about losing your spot. I seen guys fuck up their shoulder. Excuse my language. No, you can swear. It's fine. It's all good. Okay. Mess up their shoulders or their knees and then get released. Right. So, I, you said something similar about Andrew Martin. Yeah. In a similar situation. Um, he broke that. his neck. They fired him. It's, some, this, it's, it's a relief at least then, at least as you say, from what you can tell that there yeah. is some change there, at least, at least some mm-hmm. more duty of care, which there always right. should, which there should have been from the, in the first place, but there's always should have been. Um, we're going to look back, but we're going to look back in a, in a, in, in hopefully a bit more of a, a positive light, because I've asked you, Renee, to have a think about three wrestling matches that you would watch if you were metaphorically on a desert island. Because the one thing that we need after 18 months of being locked inside like a hermit is to be on a desert island somewhere. <laughs> Right. That's that seems the most appropriate way to go. So uh, throughout the course of our chat today, we're going to go one by one and pick out your three matches. So match number one, Renee, what would you like? <sighs> My all-time favorite match, the match that every young student should watch, the basis of what professional wrestling should be, Buddy Rogers versus Pat O'Connor, 1963 Comiskey Park in Chicago. So when do you remember seeing that one for the very first time? about 12 or 13 years old. So your, your dad, and for those who don't know, like your dad is a major name. Uh, yeah. As part of the industry. What is your dad, is it your dad that showed you this match? Yeah. He said, basically, if you want to learn how to wrestle, this is the, this is like the, uh, the gauge, the blueprint of what a good guy, bad guy. You know what I mean? Buddy Rogers was the all time greatest ever. In my opinion. With, um, Obviously, your dad, Emil Dupree, who did so much in the wrestling world. He traveled all over the world. He wrestled guys like Killer Kowalski, wrestled guys like Bill Curry, uh, Dick the Bruiser, Dusty Rhodes. Was it always going to be wrestling for you, do you think? Mm. I don't think he wanted it that way, but he had no choice because I was hooked. You know what I mean, I had the bug. I would sit in front because we had a copy of WrestleMania 1, right? Mm. And I was only like four or five years old, but I would sit in front of the TV because back then it was VCR. Do you remember those? I do indeed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm flattered that you think I look young enough to not remember VCRs. I will take that as a great compliment. Right. So, uh, well, the English drink their tea every day, so it's very healthy, right? Mm -hmm. So anyhow, I'd sit in front of the VCR and I'd watch WrestleMania 1. And then as soon as it was done, I'd rewind the tape and watch it. I had severe OCD from a young age. So... They had to take the tape away from me because I was watching it too much. I was obsessed over it. So I think he knew he could see that, okay, there's no way my kid's obsessed with it. So, and then like for him too, like he had gotten out of it in 1990, right? Because he had lost his television and the promotion went under. But once you're in this business, it's the ultimate drug. It's the ultimate, it's in your blood. You can't get rid of it, right? Mm, it, so. it just, when you say um, you, you were diagnosed with OCD at a young age. Um, you, you're, you're one of quite a big family. Like, was there was there other? Did your other siblings have OCD as well? Was there any? Uh, there's other- a lot of mental health in my family. Yeah. 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 Um, when uh, so, what age were you? Did you say you were when when you were diagnosed with OCD? Never really diagnosed, but I know I have it. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like uh, addiction issues started with sugar. Mm. You understand? Like food is an addiction, right? Uh, gambling is an addiction. Pornography can addiction. Sex, drugs. There's all kinds of addictions. Exercise. When you're exercising four or five hours a day, you know you have an issue, right? It's not normal, right? And there's a lot of that in entertainment in general, I've noticed, not just like with wrestlers, but like uh, comedians, actors, uh, musicians. There's a lot of uh, OCD. So with yourself then, it was, it was rewinding watching WrestleMania one over and over and over again. Um, but you were, you were a big eater as well. I know you said previously that, um, was it you having your tonsils out that led you to that's it increasing your, your the tonsils your and hitting puberty. It's a head right? combination. Right. So like, I remember from ages 12 to 13, I shot up for four inches in, in height. And I put on about 30 pounds in the summer. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was insane. But it, like I was a skinny kid, but my all my family, both my mother and father's side, are big boned, muscular people, right? So I just had a growth spur. But then you combine that with OCD and you know, studying nutrition, you know, and then eating properly. Like, for example, OCD to the point where okay, if I have to eat every two and a half hours, I'd sit by and wait till then I eat at 7.30, I would sit, wait till 10 o'clock on the dot to eat again. That obsessed, yeah. Has yeah. that changed as you've got older? Yes, thank God. <laughs> I mean, I'll still eat my five or six meals a day. I'll still get my workouts in, but I'm not sitting, you know, weighing every little gram of protein and trying to like measure every little cup of fucking excuse my language brown rice or yams or you know what i mean i'll just go judge okay that looks about right you know it just seems like when you know somebody who was uh, you, you, the growth spurt, you 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 got bigger, you got taller, and you know your your dad is is a big name in the business. Like genetically and metaphorically, you were you were destined for it almost. I know your dad said that he didn't want you in the business. Um, what lengths did did uh, did your dad go to try and talk you out of it? If he did. Oh, he went in like, uh, you remember video stores? We could rent videos. I do remember. <laughs> Again, flattered. This is the best. I'm flattered right. that you think I don't remember them. I'm delighted. <laughs> well, he wouldn't let me rent like WWF videotapes. Ah, oh, right. So but, you'd, uh, you'd, you'd ask to lend, you'd ask them and he'd just go, no, absolutely right. not. I have to hide it from him. Oh, yeah. Did he ever find you watching them? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. At first, at first, there'd be physical beatings. Right. It was that bad. Yeah. The bitterness towards WWF was that bad. Because, it- I, mean, I mean, he took the business away, right? Mm. I mean, think about it. You run a business and you're making high six figures a year. And that's taken away from you. Yeah. It's common. It's, you know, human nature, right? So how did it go then from... You you getting a, a hiding for watching a wrestling show behind your dad's back to your dad going, okay, here's Gene Kanitsky and Pat O'Connor. Like, 
how did that eventually? Buddy Rogers, Pat Apologies, Buddy Rogers, Pat <laughs> How did uh, it go? Think, uh, that's a whole different match. How did it go from uh, Buddy Rogers, Pat to your dad going, here's Rogers and Pat O'Connor? Watch that. Well, finally, when I was yeah, 12, 13, he realized it's, it's I, I, can't, I can't help it. He's hooked. You know, so here. And then at 13, he started promoting again. And then at 14, I got in the ring. So you had your first wrestling match at the age of 14 years old. So um, out of interest, just uh, how, I don't know how well you remember, but like what was the average age of that locker room that you worked that first wrestling match with? 25, 30. We even had some 50-year-olds. What, what was the vibe the, around, what's the temperature around that night then when, you know, you're the, the, the son of a legend, you're, you're still a teenager and you're, you're wrestling yeah, your well, first match on his show. The fact that my dad was the owner helped. Obviously, yeah. you know, I have a lot of advantages that way, but, uh, but I, I was forced to grow up a lot faster. Understand? Mm. Yeah. So my childhood was a lot different than most. In what way? I was forced to grow up a lot faster. And what most 19, 20, 25 year old men do when they're out with the other boys. Well, I did that at a very young age, you understand? Mm-hmm. And I looked a lot older, so I could get into bars and strip clubs. And, you understand? I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, did you have friends? Like, did you did you have other circles of friends outside of wrestling that were more your age? Yeah, well, here's the thing. My father's territory was seasonal, right? <clears throat> it was the spring, summer, and sometimes into the fall. But wintertime, I... There's no wrestling because all the hockey arenas are closed or filled with ice. So there's nowhere to run wrestling, right? So it, so it, that, was, that was kind of a mind screw too because you go from the wrestling world with adults, then you have to go back to high school with kids your own age. Different Difference in mentality, right? Yeah. So how did that manifest itself then? Because you spent a season with uh with, with with guys much older than you you're going to strip clubs you're drinking you're doing whatever and then you're back at school and it's and it's it, it, you you must have felt like a fish out of water yeah definitely a bad influence a bad yeah on the other kids because i i found this new lifestyle that it's a lot more fun than what most teenage boys do right but i was also a loner because i couldn't relate to anybody i had a few like two or three friends that were hardcore wrestling fans, right? Because that, that, I was hooked, right? And out of the whole school, I was the only guy who lifted weights <clears throat> and actually decided to compete in, in bodybuilding, right? So, so the, with the bodybuilding thing as well, because again, it's, 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 it's funny how your dad was so against steering you towards that path, but like you're, you're, but it's such a similar path that you trod, you know, you started young, your dad, like your dad, your dad did bodybuilding as well. And people went, Hey, you should do the wrestling thing. And then you were yeah. doing the bodybuilding thing as well. Um, and you know, just to spin on the story a little bit. So you started wrestling at 14 years old. Uh, you would end up getting signed by WWE. And like, what was the, what was the reaction at home to that? Considering how, uh, how angry your dad was and rightly so for towards the WWF at the time, like how did your dad react to that? I think the reason he didn't want me in it because the business had totally changed. See, when he got in it, there was like 30 or 40 different places you could go and wrestle in the territory system, right? 
Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more opportunities as opposed to back in the 90s, there was only the WWF because WCW had just got shit bought out, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Because I remember when I was 15, okay, uh, remember Paul Orndorff? I do, Mr. Wonderful. Well, he was an agent for WCW and he had came down to the to the, to the territory Grand Prix to, to like uh, scout. And when he seen me, he was like, okay, well, once he once he graduates, turns 18, we'll bring him to WSW, right? But <clears throat> by 2001, they had shut down, right? Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so yeah, so I said my, uh, like a lot of the guys, I don't want to mention names, Cody Rhodes, I don't want to mention any names, Randy Orton, I don't want to mention any names, you know, Natty Nightheart. They all got hired strictly because of who their parents were, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't in that case at all because my father had no connections there. Right. So I sent a resume just like everybody else did a trial match, just like everybody else, a trial camp. But at 18, when you're 6'3, 255 pounds, and just won, you know, a Mr. Canada bodybuilding championship, and you know how much Vince loves bodies, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it yeah. No brainer. It was a no brainer. They signed you up once you showed you what you could do. Yeah. Um, uh, to, to 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 cross over again, like from so your your dad, you know, your first match that you chose, it was it was um, it was it was Buddy Rogers in action, and and again, like that that crossover with your dad, who said like, this is how you have a wrestling match, Buddy Rogers, Pat O'Connor, this is a match, and then you go into the WWE system, which is so different. And it's so much more based around, you know, you're you're putting on a, a, an entertainment piece, you're putting on a, a theatre production, and then was that? I apologise. I've gone. Not in OVW. Right. OVW. Course. Rip Rogers was the coach, and it was an old school feel. Mm. You know, Rip Rogers. Where do you think he got his name? From your dad, buddy. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy Rogers. Oh, Gene Kaniski. No, no, that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> buddy Rogers, of course. But there was... Um, so who was running OVW at the time that you were there? Was it Cornette? Uh, Cornette did TVs. Hmm. Right? Danny Davis ran the day-to-day operations. And Rip Rogers was the coach. So Rip Rogers was a good coach. How, dif- how, how, was, um, how different was it to go from sort of being under your dad's tutelage to under Rip Rogers in OVW. How different was that? Uh, well, you have to understand, wrestling for my dad, we were in front of a live crowd every night doing weekly towns. When I was 15, we did May 1st till September 7th, seven nights a week, uh, double shots on Sunday without a day off. So that's what, 100, 128 days in a row, mm. but 150 matches, something like that. Or I would, I would wrestle twice a night. I would go in the second match. Then we'd go into a battle role at the end or a six-man tag. So in one summer, I got 300 matches. Right, if you count it, right? That's, yeah, that's, a, that's quick maths. It's about 300 matches. Right. Isn't that crazy? It's like the um, and and you know you've you've come and you've done your fair share of stuff over here in the UK as well, but it's a bit like over here. There's the um, there's the camp shows, there's the Butlin shows, where they are yes, seasonal. I did that. You I did, did the, that. You did the Butlin's run. It's good in oh, it. You're right. <laughs> 
I do what, what I love about that is everybody that we spoke to, we've, we've had a few guys on here who did the, the, the Butlin shows. And the one thing that comes across whenever you talk about them is it really drills into you just the fundamentals because it's a, it's a non-wrestling crowd a lot of the time. So you've got to ramp up being a bad guy, ramp up being a good guy, keep, get the simple bits right and they'll pop every time. Then was that the same, was that the experience that you had as well? I did that post WWF. Oh, I that was the WWE, excuse me, Madison Square Garden to working for Brian Dixon doing the Butlins run, setting up the ring, tearing it down. Ugh. To go from that, like, was, I mean, I mean for you, because I know you, you were, you requested your release from WWE. Yes. So I, I could imagine that going into something like that felt like a massive refresh. Well, it was a massive fucking refresh, especially with the paycheck. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Right? Brian Dixon plays slightly less. Let's just say a lot of promoters uh, don't tell the truth all the time. No. Oh. What? <laughs> They're all so honest. Yeah, right. Okay. As, as I said to the one promoter that I think I chased money for for a year, they're all so honest all the time. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, jeez. But so yeah. So it's so the 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 shows that you ran, the seasonal shows that you ran, very different to what you did in OVW, which was a which was a, a different schedule and a, mm. and a very different uh, pace. Mm. Um, so well, so OVW, when we learned television, mm. there is that too. That was TV. Then we do the little spot shows in Indiana in front of 50, 60 people. Yeah. But the TV was the key. Camera calls and interviews and you know what I mean? Uh, How did you find all that? Well, it was a different territory. Every time you go to a different territory, it's exciting. Different atmosphere. But it's like anything else. It gets old, right? Mm. And you want something new. And you got something new when you, uh, when you got moved upwards to WWE. Um, before we get into that, uh, let's get to your second wrestling match for your, for your desert Island. So we've, we've had uh, buddy Rogers, Pat O'Connor. What would you like your second one to be Renee? Any match involving dynamite kid and tiger mask. Ah, brilliant. These, the, I love the, when these come up. Um, can you remember the first time you saw dynamite kid uh, and tiger mm -hmm. mask and what your reaction was? Well, first time I seen dynamite kid is when he worked for my dad. Yeah. I got his ring jacket at my parents' house. Ha! Wow, that's a that's a bit of history. How did how did you how did you come to get it? Did you did how did that how gave did you to come me. to own it? He gave it to me. Wow. Yeah. Did you ask him or did he just go? Hey, go. No, I just saw me hanging around the matches, and I because I remember seeing him on WWF television, right? Mm. So for me, I was like you know just a little kid, and you know, here you go, kid. He, he smoked, right? He had no teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He lived. He lived a lifestyle. He 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 drove it like he stole it for for twenty odd years. Did Dynamite Kid? Yeah. Well, a lot of guys did. You know. So. first time Tiger Mask Dynamite Kid first time. Gee, I can't remember. It must have been man, my dad's tapes. You have to understand. My dad was a promoter, so we would always get tapes sent to our house. There'd always be guys, wrestlers from all over the world sending tapes. And a lot of times he didn't, this is even after he quit promoting, do we still get tapes? He didn't, after 1990, he didn't care. He was so sick with wrestling, right? But we still get the tapes. He threw it on the counter. I'd go watch it. So I'd be watching all types of different wrestling. A lot of 
good stuff, a lot of really crappy wrestling too, right? Is there somebody on one of these tapes? I'm keen to know. So your dad gets sent all these tapes and he got, as you say, in 1999, he got fed up with it. So Mm. you started watching these tapes. Is there anybody that you saw on these tapes that caught your eye that then went on to be a a big deal in wrestling? Want to hear a story? I would love a story, Renee. So my dad started promoting back, opened up in 1997, right? My dad got this, this uh, package from Toronto. The first thing he would do is look at the eight by 10. Blonde haired kid. I, uh, he's not very big. Here, Renee, go put on this tape, see what he can do. I'll never forget, he was doing nip ups. At the time, it was like, you know, like Hurricane Rana's, all that stuff. At that time, it was very unique, right? And it was a video package, My Wave by Soundgarden. Remember that song? Mm-hmm. I said, Dad, you got to bring this guy in. Do you want to know who he was? Go on. Christian Cage. Nice. That's great. Uh, does Christian know that story? Have you? Because obviously you'll, you told You'll know before. now. You'll know now. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Lots has been said about uh, your run in WWE, and you know, we don't want to tread too gra- the ground too much more than, than we have. One thing I was keen to ask about, was um, the one thing that, that stuck out as, as you sort of found your feet in WWE, sort of became away from La Resistance and became your, your own man. Um, Taz's commentary during your matches was always a great joy. Um, where obviously you, 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 you perfected a move called the French Tickler, which Taz took great delight in shouting about on commentary. Um, can you... That's it. That's, what was like? Were you aware of of the the fun that Taz was having around all of that and your matches? Did you guys dude, talk about it? Dude, would you believe? Like after a four day week, like you're so fuck. I was so tired. Mm. I would watch my matches sometimes on mute. I'd even listen to the commentary. Fair enough. Like. Seriously, dude, like, especially when you go on these, like, European tours, like England, we go for 10, 12, 14 days. Dude, you didn't even want to watch wrestling anymore. 
like me, you know, when you get done, you just want to go home you want to rest and you got to pack up to go back on the road. Now and then I catch the wrestling matches or you're watching and catering, but a lot of times I didn't even listen to the commentary. Uh, now I do. If I go watch my stuff back. Mm. <laughs> I was going to say, cause you, 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 you started singing the song under your breath. Yeah. Uh, so you heard it. I heard it. Yeah. Don't forget. I've been gone there for what? 15 years. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. A lot of people don't know that you were re-signed in 2011. Yes, sir. And then it just you nothing happened. <laughs> like, can you are you able to shed any light on sort of the that sort of phantom re-signing that you had? Well, actually, uh, today we're dropping this. Well, this airs on March second. Well, today. There's a Vince McMahon episode on my Cafe de Renee podcast. Okay. So when people listen to this, it'll already be there. So I go deep into detail about that signing. Mm. But let's just say I felt like I was lied to. I was told something. Um, But then again, I've never since then or since I left the WWE actually showed up to a show. I've never done that. So maybe one day I should show up and say, hey, Vince. Where's that contract? <laughs> Did it get lost in the mail? He might, he might say, well, thank God you're here, pal. I've been waiting for ages. What <laughs> <laughs> time you call this? <laughs> yeah, it's <my> <laughs> it's, I've been carrying it all these years. It's like yeah, the Ark right. of the Covenant. Um, uh, so, okay, so I don't want to... If people want to find that story, let's, let's throw them over to Café de René rather than great. giving away the detail here. Um, but what I would like to, again, if you, if, if it'll, if the answer is coming up in the podcast and we'll send them that way again, um, obviously there must've been conversations when the, when the re-signing was taking place, this phantom re-signing that never happened. Um, and I know that you've said in previous interviews, there's been a few conversations about potential returns to WWE. Can you shed any light on what capacity that would have, could have been in? Like in terms of what you might have been doing, where you might have been assigned to, anything like that. I was just told that we're going to bring you back on top, Renee. <laughs> we all know who that is. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to say the name. You guys know Absolutely. Um, That's what I was told. But then again, promoters and people in administration tend to fib. They fib a little bit. They do fib a little bit. Yes. Um, I can, and there's a, there's a lot of people who will be watching sort of what WWE does now, and there is that sort of poison chalice about it because people are like yourself told, "Hey, come in, we're gonna make you a star," and then just unceremoniously within a few months, yeah, we're budget cuts, we're letting you go. Um, you you said that Japan made you fall back in love with wrestling. Yeah. When when did you realize that you loved wrestling again after you left WWE? My first All Japan tour. Yeah. Oh yeah. What was it on that tour? Was there something that happened? A particular moment on that tour that uh, little Eureka moment? I met uh, you know King Curtis. I do. Yeah. Well, King Curtis has a nephew named Taiokea. He's very famous in All Japan for wrestling, and. Uh, Hanging out with him, man, made me love wrestling again. Just being on tour and just joking around. Because in WWF at that time when I was there, was a lot of paranoia, a lot of hazing, a lot of uh, 
senior members of the roster paranoid about losing their spot. So a lot of backstabbing. And that takes the fun out of it, man. Like you're there to have, you know, but when you realize it's a business and you realize that you can, like you said, you can get fired like that and you're out the door like that. And it doesn't matter if you sign a three-year contract, five-year contract. There's a little clause in that contract where it says we could fire anytime for anything for any reason, you know? So especially, especially being a foreigner. Because this is the issue that you had that, you know, because being from Canada, the moment you're gone from WWE, then that's, that's a whole lot of visa paperwork that you've got to deal with. That's it. Can't work anywhere else. You, you haven't wrestled in, in the States for a long time now. Um, And is, is that now is, is obviously that's deliberate, but is that more a preference now that you'd rather just wrestle anywhere, but in America? I don't like the American style. I don't like what I see on American television. You understand? That's fair. That's fair. Is that so? That is that across the board? Are we talking WWE, AEW? Impact? I watched a few AEW matches, uh, like my friends, like Serena Deeb, Minoru Suzuki. I can watch that, but uh, when I see this spot fest, I mean, if people like it, but that's not my style. I'd have to work with a heavyweight if I went there, right? Mm-hmm. Who am I going to work with? Luchasaurus? Yeah. <laughs> Who am I going to work with? Wardlow? Right? Your options are limited. My options are limited. Because I'm not going to do a Young Bucks match. <laughs> right? I'd have to be a base. Just take all their shit. I could do it. There's more options for you doing stuff. Um, I know you've done All Japan, you've done Wrestle One, you've been a big part of Pro Wrestling Noah as of late as well. So you've kind of got more people there that you can be evenly, easily matched up with. Oh, yeah. And it's the style I like. It's a hard-hitting style. It's a reality-based style. Plus, again, I'm independent. The exposure I get from there, for example, when I won the uh, Global Tag League, Noah Global Tag League, and within one week, I had 12 different offers. Okay. So where were those offers from, can you say? New Zealand, Singapore, Australia, Italy, uh, a few places in the States, uh, and other European countries that, like Poland that I've never been to. How many of those did you take up? I couldn't because of the pandemic. Oh, God, yeah, of course. That you, whole, know that money, you, know much, you know how much money I lost because this freaking thing but is the um it's it's so you were getting them because you've been doing stuff in nowhere like in 2020 so you you got a little bit of stuff but it was you're very limited in terms of what you could do and where you could go you've been you know especially in new brunswick where there's been just like a really strong lockdown even to now um have you got stuff in place because as we as we're talking about this like the it looks as if things are about to ease up where you are um, have you got flights booked? Have you got dates in the diary for stuff coming soon? Stay tuned. Oh, are you flying to Japan or not, Renee? Can you tell us? I don't know. Cafe de Renee on YouTube. Oh. <laughs> I tell you what, there's a story that I, I don't know whether you've shared it on Cafe de Renee, but I'd love you to share it here if you can. Um, uh, 
you when people when people go when people catch up with what you're doing now you've got some cracking body art and i love the fact that you've got uh, japanese tattoos uh, that you got whilst you were pissed and i think that's <laughs> a- yeah. and i and i would like you to tell the story of of how it started what they are and how it's going <laughs> Oh, well, I was in my younger <laughs> days. I was 20, 24, 24, 25. Yeah, it was my first All Japan tour. And I had the greatest time in the world. I got my first sponsor. And like a sponsor in Japan is like a guy, a family, a lot of money takes you out. So he took us out to the Hard Rock, went to like all these fancy clubs, went to the badass strip club. I met some badass strippers. And I had so much fun on that tour. Then when I came home, I kept partying with my friends and I went to the dodgy tattoo parlor and I got the Japanese tattoo. Japan over here. And then I woke up the next morning. I was like, oh shit, this is real. <laughs> <laughs> what um for those who don't know, what does it mean? What does the Japanese tattoo mean? This means What's, Japan. Just means Japan. Nippon, yeah, Japan. And it's, that's, and it's near your heart for that reason. Yeah, but a lot of the, the senior Japanese, like Tenru and Koi, they were, they were pissed, actually. Like, why the fuck is a gaijin getting Japan right now, right? Oh, really? There was some yeah. heat for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because ja- tattoos in Japan are still pretty forbidden, right? Mm. Yeah. But, um with um i want to just dip back into it because like for there'll be loads of people who will, who will listen to this and they won't know the system there but obviously you say that you went over to all japan you got a sponsor so this mm. is somebody that will basically subsidize your your trip over there like what's the what's the process of getting a sponsor different yeah. levels mm. okay you might get a sponsor will take you out to eat okay i had a sponsor who paid for my honey excuse me paid for my honeymoon wow Terry Funk has a sponsor to fly him and his wife first class and pay his wage. Tens of thousands of dollars. Okay, there's different levels of sponsors. But how did you go how, how did you go about getting I apologize? How did you go about getting one? Like they're fans. They like what you do in the ring. They'll come to you. Mm. Right? Just reach out and just go, we'd like to pay yeah. for this. Bring you the longer you're there, yeah, the longer you're there. Like, I've been there 15 years, right? Yeah. So, enough. God bless them. Because, you know, oh, yeah, because you, you, eventually, you know, there's some nights you're just stuck in your hotel room and you can only, you can only play on this thing for so long before you snap. You know? <laughs> right? I'm with you. I'm with you. So then when they call you up, let's go out and you go out all night. I mean, it could be as simple as going out to a, like we had one in uh, one of the small towns, brought us out to a Filipino bar night. You drink, you sing karaoke, you eat. Just something, you know, great. What's a, what's a Rene Dupree karaoke classic? Born to be Wild. Oh, great choice. Yeah. Oh, Picture by Kid Rock and uh, Sheryl Crow. That's a duet, though. Oh, okay. So you need somebody else to do the Sheryl Crow pit. That's it. Nice. That's not, I like that. You. What's I, lovely is... When you talk about Japan, yeah, like you, 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 you glow when you talk about it. There's so much love. I love it there. Yeah. Um, would there? Would you ever consider making a move permanently to Japan? I did for three years. Would you go back? I don't think my wife wants to. <laughs> my wife's Japanese, right? 
Right. And she, and she she doesn't want to come. She doesn't fancy going back to Japan. She'd rather stay in Canada with yourself. Once you live there, then you become accustomed to their culture. And it's, dude, it can be stressful. Mm. It can be stressful. For example, today, you were five minutes late for this interview. Was I? I was, I was bang on time. No, no. Well, on my clock, you were five minutes late. Oh. That, that's big, big problem. Oh, wow. Well, I'm... yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I well, I apologize then. But, <laughs> I just I, I thought I was I thought I was pressing the button bang on, but then my clock's right? probably wrong. But, I get that. Why, my... I get it because you've just said that, and I feel stressed, and that's one thing. <laughs> no, but thanks to my time there, like now, like that's ingrained in my head mm. to always be on time because of yeah, because you know the 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 saying "time is money." Mm-hmm. Time is money. That applies big time in Japan, right? Amazing. Um, I get that. How did you meet your wife? Uh, was it singing picture by any chance? <laughs> we actually went out to karaoke that night. It was through a sponsor, right? We all went at a club that she was working at. And I was with Lance Cade, uh, rest in peace. And uh, I was so drunk. I was passed out like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned, I specifically learned one word, kawaii, which means pretty, Right. Because that was going to be my big pickup line for the night. I was trying to pick up, right? So I was passed out, and then I woke up, and she was, you know, she's a pretty girl. And I just said, kawaii, and I passed back out. And apparently in my drunken stupor, I gave her my hotel. I don't know how she got my hotel room or how she got my number, but I had a press conference the next morning, and she called me an hour before to wake me up. Yeah. Oh. Got married. And and how long was it from there till you you got married? Fuck six months. Nice. Wasted no time. Uh, <laughs> but you know, years, you know. Yeah, it's been thirteen years now. Amazing. And yeah. that's that, so it 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 speaks more about why Japan's part is your home. Why it's near your heart. Yeah. For a multitude yeah. of reasons among that one. Um we've got one more match to pick for your for your desert island. So uh what would you like your third and final one to be, Renee? It's got to be Melina versus Alicia Fox. There it is. <laughs> every, Renee, everyone picks that match. <laughs> Why is it every single time we do this? Everyone picks Melina and Alicia Fox. Honestly. Yeah, it's, uh, Melina, it's Melina and Alicia Fox again. <laughs> every time. Actually, I know both those girls and they're really good people. They right, they uh, they took that they took that whole thing on the chin. Uh, right. Bless them. <laughs> In all seriousness, yeah, <laughs> gotta be Savage Steamboat. Ah, oh, there it is. There it is. It's almost a Melina Alicia Fox. Almost. Almost, but, not quite. So this and, and again, this is one that that as tight. It's it's aged like a fine wine. This one has because in the eighties, WrestleMania three was all about. Uh, Hogan and Andre, Hogan and Andre, and as time has gone on, as 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 the 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 perception of the style in in America in the West has changed, there's there's been more love for Savage and Steamboat yeah. as like a technical masterclass. Right, right. What's a moment from that match when we talk about it that 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 appears in your head that plays in your mind's eye? What's a moment from that match that you love? Oh fuck. Steve like arm drags. 
Mm. You know, the little spots. It was a, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Steamboat skins the cat and he comes up and then fucking Savage clothes lands him over the top right away. And uh, just the false finishes and the people getting with it, you know? And is then, there uh, something? Was, is, is was it, it Dave Hebner or Earl Hebner fucking blowing up trying to count the pins? <laughs> <laughs> it probably been Dave. <laughs> but from that match, is there? I mean, is those are bits that you see when you when you're watching it? But but say there was uh, a young Renee Dupree who came to you and said, uh, "I want to get into this," and you, you know, the same way that your dad handed you Buddy Rogers, Power Carter, or Gene yeah. Kiddis, as I said earlier, either or, um, but it handed and you handed them. Steamboat and Savage, what would you tell them to look out for in terms of true wrestling masterclass lessons to be had? The timing. Their timing was impeccable. Psychology. You know, I always tried to throw arm drags like Steamboat. I never, when I was younger and lighter, I could. (laughs) But just uh, the timing. Timing is everything in wrestling. And their timing was impeccable during that. You know who was very OCD? Uh, Savage, he was. Um, there's stories that do the rounds of him, like, beat for beat, planning out the matches yeah. and working through that. There's so- a guy who taught, taught how to throw left hand. He's naturally right-handed, but taught to throw a baseball right-handed, uh, left-handed, to make the team. Uh, St. Louis, I think it was St. Louis Cardinals or something. Oh, really? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He taught how to throw himself left-handed. Because he Think had to that. make Are you right-handed things. or left-handed? I'm a lefty, sir. Okay. So imagine teaching yourself to throw right. Oh, God. That, it, as it, good it, as your left. Think about a, that. Immediately. Oh, I'm crap at both. But immediately the, the thought of, of throwing with my non-dominant, like, it, it's weird how... You, in your head, you have to make extra, extra steps to plan it when right. you don't with your left. But right. that's a, that's incredible commitment. That is, yeah. so that, that is that is amazing sense. commitment. That is, jeez, and, and that and stories like that and many others you can find on Cafe de Rene. Cafe de Rene. That's it. Two shows a week. Uh, I'd like you to before we go uh, plug the channel once more. Plug where people can find you and keep up to date with you. The floor is yours, sir. Thank you, my friend. Well, yes, Cafe de Renee on YouTube. Uh, there's Cafe de Renee on Twitter, Cafe de Renee on Instagram. Uh, yeah, my personal stuff, just that doesn't matter. I'm here to promote Cafe de Renee on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share it if you can. And uh, yeah, if you find me entertaining, sign up. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 